Life, Hope, and Truth presents The World to Come, What It Will Be Like Written and presented by Eric Jones Produced by The Church of God, a worldwide association Chapter 2, A New Government for a New World In Zechariah 14, verse 4, the prophet Zechariah reveals that when Christ returns, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west. Imagine a half-mile high or 80-meter mountain splitting straight down the middle. This will be yet another incredible display of the sheer power of Jesus Christ. It's significant that Christ's feet will touch the Mount of Olives first because this was the very location from which he ascended to heaven, Acts 1, verses 4 through 12. The beginning of a new world. His arrival in Jerusalem commences a new era of history, closing the era of the present evil age, Galatians 1, verse 4, and ushering in what Hebrews 2, verse 5 calls the world to come. Acts 3, verses 19 through 21, describe this transition from today's era under Satan to tomorrow's era under Christ, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What do the phrases times of refreshing, and restoration of all things tell us about this future age. Times of refreshing signifies a time of healing and relief from the suffering and anxiety that precedes it. The Greek word translated refreshing means, according to Bill Mounts's Greek dictionary, a refreshing coolness after heat. Christ will usher in a new era of calm and relief, like cool, refreshing water. Restoration, in the original Greek, means a restitution of a thing to its former state. This refers to when Adam and Eve lived in perfect tranquility and peace in the Garden of Eden, in God's presence and under His guidance. That state quickly ended with their fateful decision to reject God's rule and follow the deceptive serpent. Genesis 3. By choosing to eat the forbidden fruit, choosing sin, they lost the close access they originally had to God and the tree of life, which represented access to God's spirit and the gift of eternal life. Based on their choice, God stepped back and has allowed Satan, for the time being, to be the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Under his awful rule, people have continually eaten the fruit of their own way, according to Proverbs 1, verse 31. But God has always had restoration in mind, and upon Christ's return, he will begin the process of fully reestablishing God's direct rule over the entire earth. But what does the Bible tell us about this new government? Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Heading this government will be Jesus Christ, the undisputed sovereign of the entire earth, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Revelation 17, verse 14. Lord means master. Jesus will be master over all other masters. King is a term of royal dominion. 
Jesus will be king over all other kings. This element of Jesus Christ's identity is not often emphasized. Many basically view him as the Savior who came to die for our sins, which is certainly true. But he will not return as a suffering servant. Rather, he will come as a ruler, the Lord God Almighty. Christ inherited this authority when he was resurrected from the dead. According to Ephesians 1 verses 21 through 22, he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he, God the Father, put all things under his feet. Even though Christ has inherited all authority, he won't fully exercise that authority over all things until he returns to earth. One remarkable prophecy about Jesus' future role as King of Kings is found in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Christ's rule will continue to increase and expand, bringing peace, judgment, and justice to everyone under it. The kingdom of God will rule over the earth. Christ will fulfill hundreds of prophecies about his kingdom being established on earth. Notice this beautiful prophecy Isaiah recorded in Isaiah 2 verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. The Bible often uses mountains to symbolize governments. The mountain of the Lord's house the kingdom of God under the rule of Jesus Christ, will command the obedience of all the other mountains and hills, which symbolize the large and small nations of the earth. Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 9 verse 10, His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And in Zechariah 14 verse 9, The Lord shall be king over all the earth. Another striking prophecy is found in Daniel 7, verse 14. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is echoed in Revelation 11, verse 15. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Interestingly, these prophecies show that national identities will continue in some form during his reign. Once reestablished, his governing dominion will last forever, Daniel 4 verse 34. Unlike all the kingdoms of men which rise and fall, Christ's kingdom will stand forever, Daniel 2, verse 44. Given its importance, Jesus stressed to his followers that the coming of the kingdom of God must be their central hope and focus. When he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, his primary message centered on the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. He urged us to regularly pray, Your kingdom come, 
and to seek it first above all other things. Matthew 6, verses 10 and verse 33. Jerusalem, the capital city of the world to come. The seat of Christ's government will be in Jerusalem, a name meaning city of peace or established in peace. Though many glorious events of Israel's past transpired there, the city has also experienced terrible tragedy and bloodshed during its long history. Today, Jerusalem is a divided city, characterized by disputes and hostility. When Christ resides in and rules from there, it will truly become the city of peace. Jeremiah underscored Jerusalem's future glory by foretelling, in Jeremiah 3, verse 17, At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will also be called the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 33, verse 16, and the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, Zechariah 8, verse 3. These names reveal beautiful truths about Jerusalem's future. In Joel 3, verse 17, the prophet Joel wrote, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. This doesn't mean non-Israelites will be forbidden from entering the city. We'll see later that people of all nations will visit Jerusalem, but that it will not be attacked by hostile foreign armies. Jerusalem, under the watchful care and rule of Jesus Christ, will become a secure and peaceful city. The Kings and Priests Under Christ Jesus Christ will not be ruling alone, though. Governing with him will be a team made up of those who are resurrected and transformed into spirit at his return. As Daniel wrote in Daniel 7 verse 18, But the saints of the Most High, those are God's faithful servants throughout the ages, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. A few verses later, in verse 27, he elaborated, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So the kingdom of God will include Jesus Christ and the saints, his spiritual brothers and sisters. Not only will they inherit eternal life and be in God's family, the saints will also play a key role in the government of the millennium. Revelation 5 verse 10 contains a song that summarizes their destiny. And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So God's family will serve as kings and priests, reigning and teaching God's way of life. The Parable of the Minas and God's Kingdom Jesus gave some insight into the kingdom's structure in his parable of the Minas recorded in Luke chapter 19. In this story, a certain nobleman, who pictures Jesus Christ, went to a far country to receive a kingdom. He called ten servants together and gave each of them a mina, or a large sum of money, and instructed them to do business till I come, verses 12 through 13. This represents God's calling and working with people in this age, giving them His Holy Spirit to empower them to grow in righteous character. When the nobleman returned, he summoned the servants for an accounting. 
They were rewarded with rulership over cities according to how much they had increased the nobleman's investment. But one servant who didn't increase it at all was rewarded with nothing. The parable's lesson is that Christ will reward people based on how much they used His Spirit to grow and produce spiritual fruit throughout their lives. The most important qualification for being given responsibilities in His kingdom, such as ruling cities, won't be political skill, technical expertise, or intelligence, but growth in godly spiritual character. In Jeremiah 3 verse 15, Jeremiah referred to God's future ruling family as shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. The knowledge and understanding that people will be taught in the world tomorrow will be first learned and practiced in life today. That's why it's so essential for Christians to continually strive to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3 verse 18. In Isaiah 32, verse 1, Isaiah described this future government this way, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. The king is Jesus Christ, and the princes are his family, the saints. This life is a training ground in which faithful Christians can prepare to be the kings and priests, princes, and shepherds of the world tomorrow by growing in knowledge, understanding, justice, grace, and righteousness today. These principles are so desperately needed to transform the world. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for you. In John 14, verses 2 through 3, Jesus said these words on the last night of his physical life. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Right now, Jesus is preparing a place for each person he is working with. Based on the parable of the Minas, we conclude that during the millennium, that place may be teaching and guiding people in a city or a group of cities, or perhaps helping individuals in ways that our experiences and growth would specifically qualify us to serve. Some responsibilities already chosen. Scripture shows that a few of the major leadership responsibilities have already been determined. Under Christ, the governmental structure over the nation of Israel has already been announced. The nation will be governed by the resurrected King David. Jeremiah 30 verse 9. But they, or the people of Israel, shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. King David, Israel's greatest king, will be resurrected at Christ's return and restored to his position as king over the twelve tribes of Israel. In Ezekiel 34 verses 23 through 24, God also stated this through the prophet Ezekiel, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David a prince among them. A few chapters later, in Ezekiel 37 verses 24 through 25, God proclaimed, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them 
and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Note that David is called both king and prince. He will be a king over those he leads, but a prince under Christ, the king of kings. Jesus revealed another element of his future government structure. When Peter asked what the twelve disciples would have for following him, Jesus answered in Matthew 19, verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So David will lead the entire nation, while the resurrected apostles will lead the individual tribes of the restored nation of Israel. This leads us to consider it likely that all nations will be similarly structured, a king over the nation, assisted by local leaders over regions and cities. Though we don't know the specifics, it's logical that other faithful servants described in the Bible will also assume prominent governing roles. It's fascinating to imagine what great men like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Elijah will be responsible for in the kingdom. Will they be given duties that relate to what they accomplished in their lives? Will Joseph oversee food reserves and distribution? Will Moses oversee a new justice system? Will Elijah be responsible for spiritual education? Whatever responsibilities people are assigned, leadership in God's government will always be based on service and care for those being led. Those who have developed God's heart of love and concern for others will be those most qualified for the highest positions of service in His government. Thanks for listening. For the next chapter of this booklet, continue with Episode 3 of The World to Come, What It Will Be Like.